Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. We're on the Relay FM podcasting network, and I'm your host, Aline Sims. Today, I am joined by Sonia Green. Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? I am doing quite well today. It's be- a beautiful Friday. Good. Oh. <laughs> Who are you, Sonia? Uh, I am a lot of things. <laughs> um, um, professionally, I am I am a customer support um, leader because that's the thing that I love more than anything to do for a job. I'm also a bunch of other things. Um, I'm a parent and a partner and a bike rider in San Francisco and a reader and a knitter and a video game player. <laughs> I'm thinking about the things I've done in the past 24 hours. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Well, um, so one of the things that uh, the first time I met you that I loved actually, even before I met you is I saw you across a crowded room and I saw your hair, <laughs> which I love because, um, I don't know how many listeners have seen a picture of me, but I have, I don't know, like a two inch strip of hair that I bleach and dye, um, typically like purple and pink and, you know, I'll throw all the colors into the mix. And I saw you from across the room and you had like turquoise and pink and purple vertical stripes in your hair. And I was like, that is awesome. And I love it so much. Um, and I've liked you ever since. Um, but, but your hair, I was like, she's my kind <laughs> of people I can tell. <laughs> okay, that, it's kind of, it's a very visible signal. Yeah. And it's not, it's not even like a subtle visible signal. It's not, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some other marker. Um, it's yeah. It's saying something very, like I am doing something very obvious, but, uh, I've had pink hair for probably 10 years now. Uh, and then I added colors more recently, but it's because actually I'm like, like style lazy. I don't know how to do (laughs) hair. I'm not that into like I don't know to do do like I want to wash it and then leave uh mm-hmm. which is always the struggle with hairdressers when you get, they're like can we put some product in it I'm like no actually I don't want you to I'm sorry uh but so this is this is having um colored hair is like having some sort of feature like you'd apply to a font like italics or bold or something and then you've got it like this is all I have to do so every like six or eight weeks, I add more color. So, it, you know, cause it gets faded and that's all I have to do. And I can wake up and just leave. And it's, um, it's the best hack I think I have. Uh, just add, add stripes of color. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so customer support is your passion. Mm-hmm. I don't hear a lot of people say customer support is my passion. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I kind of had a, um, a big epiphany moment, um, just a few weeks ago with this, um, I've done customer support and really enjoyed it. And it's like the first thing that I feel like I'm great at. I've had a bunch of different jobs and this is the first one where like, yes, I am, I am, (laughs) I'm flying, I'm doing it. Um, and then I, I took a job that was different doing some business development, which is tangentially related, has some like the same skills applied differently, um, and realized just how much I prefer to do customer support. And then uh, I'm looking for jobs now and a couple, like two different opportunities that came up are for being a COO, a, um, chief operating officer at small companies. 
um, which again, like it's again, tangentially related, uh, customer support, like customer support leadership is a, a lot of working with the other parts of the company, um, to get like working together to figure out what's needed, what information needs to flow back and forth. Um, so that's, that's part of what operations is and, um, realizing like, even though that's like a, that's like a, a like Beyonce dragon title, like <laughs> COO, uh, yeah, I, I want to say it like that. Um, uh, that's not what I want. Um, which was both terrifying, um, uh, because that sounds like a much more, um, explainable, um, career path. It's a much more, um, like my parents <laughs> better understand what that means. Um, and that is, that's a marker of success. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know what I love at this point, which is also great. Like that's a, a kind of a relief. So it's fun and terrible to feel <laughs> both things at the same time. Yeah. It, it, so that's super interesting to me because I'm, I'm in this discovery process phase right now. Um, as you know, I left my job, um, almost two months ago now. And I was sitting in Justin, my husband's office yesterday, I was sitting in his office chair, spinning in circles, you know, just just spinning in circles. And I was like, you know, I kind of like not having a job. Can I can I continue to not have a job and just spin in circles in your office chair? And he's like, no. But, um, but part of that is because I think I haven't discovered that, like, like you've had this epiphany mm-hmm. about like what, what you like. And I, I'm still spinning, like mentally spinning in an office chair trying yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in that spot and that is actually fun on its own, uh, for a long time. Um, I got a degree in journalism and radio TV and then never used it. Um, I was a proofreader. I went to, I was in AmeriCorps for a year. That was great and helpful in a lot of ways. Um, I was, a. I went and got my master's of library science cause I thought what I wanted to be was a librarian. Um, and that was also the easiest thing to tell people when you're like younger and people always want to like, they ask, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do with yourself? What are you going to be when you grow up? Um, and I did that for one year. Uh, thinking like my career is going to be, I'm going to be a children's librarian. And Mm. I was for one year um, and then ended up in tech and ended up working for a social networking site for book lovers, which is, as you can imagine how the like library science, you know, like how that moves over to that Mm -hmm. kind of job. And then like flourished, like finally I am happy every day. And that, not finally, like, this is something I'm expecting. Um, I come from farmers. <laughs> I come uh-huh. from a deeply individual contributor, like, my good work will be seen in my fields uh, kind of people. Right, me too. And, uh, oh, awesome. Uh, and so to to kind of not struggle, but just not find joy in my work was something that I expected. I have kind of a cusp millennial feel. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm kind of Gen X kind of, millennial and uh that like I'm a special snowflake I'm awesome I just someone needs to find me the right job and then I'll do it great was how I felt when I was younger and family advised like no no no, you have to get an entry-level position somewhere work your way up into what you'd like to do and at the time I was like "Eh, fuck that (laughs) (laughs) which is I mean it also meant that I had a lot of jobs that I didn't enjoy and I wasn't sure what I was doing or what was going to make me happy for a long time well, that is spinning in the in the chair. <laughs> so how do you and like you're talking about this kind of this work ethic, this farming work ethic, because I grew up in a farming community. My grandfather was a farmer. You know, my 
you, it just <laughs> it's a different kind of thing because it's just like you're not always gonna like what you do but you show up anyway and you you know you go and you do the thing like like I I never liked I don't know I never had to like muck stalls or anything like that but like you know my grandfather operated a feedlot so I did a lot of Mm -hmm. shoveling Mm -hmm. and um and I didn't like it and it's not like he liked it either it's just what you did and so kind of coming to this revelation now in my 30s that maybe I don't have to hate my job every day yeah you know and not that I've hated every job I've had every day but there's this like and I but I also at the same time roll my eyes at the thought of you know people are like follow your passion and I'm Mm -hmm. just like oh really so (laughs) I don't know It's, it's an interesting spot to to be I think. And it's not something I hear a lot about. I hear a lot of, oh yeah, I, I figured it out when I was like 12 and I just did that thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause those people have that story to tell. Everyone else is quietly like <laughs> shuffling forward and sideways a little bit. <laughs> right. I guess what was the catalyst to, to your realization that customer support is where you want to be? Because again, we're taught, or at least I was taught that I was going to get a job and I was going to do it and I was going to be promoted and um, and I was going to go as high as I could. And hopefully that would mean, you know, being um, a high level manager or a, a, C, a C-suite executive. So I guess how did how did that come to you and what was that realization like? It's, there's two parts to it. One is this narrative that we have from prior generations, which is a little bit of what we're talking about too, like grandparents who've been through the depression, maybe who like have these like agrarian, like literally pre-industrial kinds of lives and how they viewed their work. Um, and then there's kind of the, it, I, so in, in startup land, which is where I've been for the past so many years, um, the, that customer support would be, or actually at other companies, customer support is like the old mail room. It's where you start. Mm. And then, you know, you get to know people, you get to know the place and then you move up out of it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's entry level. It's a place to start. So I had an experience of working for a company. I worked for GitHub and I was an early employee, early support person. And the way that they thought of support and the, the way that they gave space to figure out how to do things well. I don't know that's vague, but like meant that, um, there weren't those limits. There Mm -hmm. wasn't the assumption that this is the second class citizen, you know, group in the basement of college students or like early college grads who are making, you know, $40,000 in San Francisco or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of respect for what support could help do for, um, all of the ways that customer support can be really, really useful beyond just, um, (laughs) answering customer questions. It's uh, QA, like quality assurance. When you find bugs, it's, um, there's a lot of insight that can happen when users are, are, are explaining something that's not working the way they thought it would. It's that's, um, user experience research that you don't have to go get. Um, and so then being able to find a way to make that a necessary component for the product's, um, success, um, was the thing that happened. That's the thing that I did. And there's a bunch of factors with that, um, working really well in the environment that I was in that, that like I was built for, um, working very, um, it it was a lot of typing. It was a lot of, um, using nonverbal, like people, because the company was remote, 
Mm-hmm. So working in places where there weren't, you didn't see other people. So your, your words and how you communicated via like I am were really important. And that's something that I'm pretty good at. And, and so like I got that communication layer down and then um, figuring out the ways to help um, make support really important and uh, respected uh, was this thing that happened. This like, turns out I can do that. Like I can help make that happen. Um, so then I had like every day I would wake up with a smile like, which is like cheesy. And it's like, it's like you were saying with the whole, like, just, fo- you know, follow your passion, find the thing. Like one, that's not how I was raised. You find a job and hopefully it pays you good enough money so that you can have a, you know, a good life and you enjoy work, but it's work. Right. Um, to having this experience where like every morning being jazzed, like waking up, like, like, you know, I started <laughs> awake and, and ready to go and wanting to see what's happened and like what I get to do next. Um, which is pretty incredible. Like, I, I don't expect that that is what I should be finding every day from my work the rest of my life. I think that's a little unrealistic. It, it, it was a period of time at GitHub that, you know, didn't last the entire time I was there even. Mm-hmm. But having a glimpse of that and also being like having more um, experience and career under my belt now, finally, when I, was, when I was 23, this is what I wanted. So I'm finally having it now of... Um, uh, getting to see what's needed, digging in on it, being able to help make it, things happen. Uh, that from, from the support angle, turns out that's the thing that I wish I could have said when I was a little kid, when people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. But like in the early eighties, if you, like, there was no way to say like, I want to do SAS customer support. Right. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't a thing. No, not a no. thing. So I'm gl- so glad it is now because like, I'm sure there would be, a, there's an analog, but it would have been a lot harder to find it. Uh, it was hard enough for me to, to go from being an Iowa farm person to, to living in San Francisco. Right. Like, oh, it's a lot different. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's funny. A whole new world. It. Yes. Yeah. So um, I feel like customer support is neglected in a lot of ways. Like you've said, it's, it's kind of like the perfunctory, I mean, we've heard stories about Yelp, right? People, people who work in tech have heard a couple of things about Yelp in the last few months where it's like, well, I was hired to be like a a PR person or, you know, I was hired to do this other thing, but I have to, I had to work in customer support for, I don't remember if it was six months or 12 months, um, you know, making not really enough money to live in San Francisco or surrounding cities and, you know, kind of all these things. And it was like customer support was literally the, the bottom rung in the ladder and not, it doesn't seem like it's prioritized there. And I, I feel like that's the case for a lot of companies, but for reasons that you've already talked about, like CS, cause I'm, you know, I'm I'm just gonna start saying CS people. I'm sorry. I'm gonna sound like a dork. It's so but, confusing. But you know, like customer support is so important because it's it's your outreach. It's it's the face you present to people. Like word of mouth. Like your customer support can make or break you. Like if you've got excellent customer support, people are going to talk about you. Even if you've had a ba- they've had a bad experience, if you helped turn it around for them, like that's important. And, um, I think even kind of encompassing all of that is something that I'm really interested in is it's having empathy for your customers. Um, because like you, you show that you care. (laughs) 
I care about that. Yeah. Well, I I mean, to be like super cold and calculating about it, I don't think it's something that's necessary for every single company type of company to survive. Mm -hmm. There's some products where like, it's just, it can be bad. It can be bad and people will still use that product. I mean, the, I, the thing we're all thinking in our heads right now is Comcast, <laughs> the, the like punching bag of bad support. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I understand that, that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a, an enriching piece of a company, like plenty get away with it or like not, I don't mean like sneak away with it, but just like that it, you can have your, every company is going to have strengths and weaknesses and support can totally be a weakness. Um, it's definitely, uh, I don't know. I think that's maybe the way we've been viewing it for the past couple of um like economic cycle or like generations um but uh in this like ever ever growing set of niche companies that we're getting out of the whole internet um that a huge value add can be support that does all the things that you just described um that that is a a tactic or like a strategy you can have to to have your company be very successful if like, like, um, the products that are not the first to the market. Um, it's, it's, it's like Yelp, but it's different, but their customer support is way better. Mm -hmm. That can be a a huge, that can be a huge, um, game changer for them and allow them to gain more success. And, and you, then, you know, all the things I would like to see, which is like using their customer support insights to help fuel, like how they figure things out. And, um, yeah, really. And, and having, having a group of people who work at your company, having, having no group of people at your company be second-class citizens. That seems yeah. like a really great way to have a company. Everyone's contributions are different, but not um, lesser or greater. And it, I'm speaking from startup land. I, I know that that's not necessarily um, re, like hierarchy is a thing that tends to work some places, but I like, I like the experiences I've had where that was less the case. Because if you hire people who are smart, they will do awesome things for you. And they're different kinds of smart. So like the, the trifecta of uh, support, I think, is uh, empathy, good communication, and problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I loved about my last job was everybody was required to do customer support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really feel like it was structured to be the backbone of the company, um, in a lot of ways where it was just like, um, that's where our bug, like you were saying, bug reports came from. That's where feature requests came from. That's where we figured out new processes for doing things that were too complicated. And, Mm um, yeah, for, for the people who, a lot of the people who listen to this show where you're kind of one, one person shops and that kind of thing, um, it's a little bit different, but when you're actually just starting a company, um, I don't know. I think that for the the tech startup land, it's it's important. I mean, yeah, we hear about Comcast. I I recently ranted about Amazon because um, my mom was having some problems with her Audible account that I helped her figure out, and like their their support was awful. It was just awful. They didn't know what they were talking about. <sighs> anyway, make things better for your people. Yeah, well, and especially for um, companies that are just getting started or who are going to be niche and the number of users they have are in the hundreds or thousands, not millions. Having good customer support is a huge customer uh, acquisition and retention tool. Yeah. And, in, and like the cool part is like in all the ways that you would like the, another part of why I like it. And actually, I why I'm not a big fan of business development and the sales side is that it's 
not about it doesn't it doesn't there's that slippery slope into what kind you know can I get you into this car Mm -hmm. Um, but it's purely like what are the things that I can do to help you understand better to fix your problems Um, I haven't worked for a company where support had a mandate to upsell so I know that that can there's also a slippery slope there Um, also you do what you have to do to make your company you know work but it's really nice when support can be this place of um, absolute like safety for mm-hmm. a user. Um, I was just at a uh, at a conference, a support conference uh, called SupConf, which is clearly what you would call that. Um, <laughs> and one of the things we were talking about, or one of the things I was talking about, was um, when users quit. There's this um, there's this opportunity to have a like that's a very specific moment. They're emailing in because they're they're saying I I want out of this. And how you handle that situation is a nice, like complicated, rich way of thinking about how you want to do support. Do you, do you try to throw them some coupon codes and get them to stay? That would be, that's a reasonable thing to do as a business. Um, uh, the, the big lesson I had learned uh, that I was sharing when we were talking about this was that uh, sometimes people don't want to quit. They just have a problem that they don't realize is fixable. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm non-confrontational generally. So I would rather be like, oh, let me help you out the door very kindly. And, you know, let me call you a cab. Um, right. And, and realizing that that's kind of a disservice <laughs> when, when asking them like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on? And they're like, this thing doesn't work. And you're like, oh, it can. Let me just show you. And then they're a happy customer. Yeah, I've, I've seen people turn that around so artfully. And it's mm-hmm. something that... Um that I need to work on. Cause you know, when people, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. You want to do yeah. whatever <laughs> and yeah. you're mad and I don't want you to yell at me. So, yeah, right. okay. Right. right. And I don't want to be unclassy. Right. Yeah. There's, there's definitely an art to doing that. I think. Well, and much like, uh, in that situation, me realizing my non-confrontational self, although it feels like a totally safe place for me to use that and no one will, like that's so it's it's acceptable um that I can actually work on that a little bit that being non-confrontational doesn't always help me Mm -hmm. and this is one way where I can figure out how to do that like very artful conversation that is actually better because that's something that comes up in life uh, it is when one is non-confrontational it is when one goes to auto body shops (laughs) for instance oh no I, I, I since you have a story about that I, I mean, I have a number. I, for some reason, maybe this is not a pattern that everyone sees, but I think um, because I'm female and I'm not a car expert, um, when I've taken my car in to have work done it, the, it's very interesting the way that I'm spoken to. Mm-hmm. This also happens at bike shops quite often, although I know more. So I can do that thing where you push back and you're like, oh, actually, I'm pretty sure it's the, you know, drop bar. Da, da, da. And uh, you can signal like you can't talk to me like that because I'm actually not. Um, I'm, I'm, I have knowledge. knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm part of your club. I just have to sig- I have to like prove that to you in a fairly assertive way because you're assuming I'm not. And uh, for auto. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had a, I had a recent, actually this was, I guess, be classified as a support um, experience where I had had some work done and something didn't work out. And so when I contacted them, the way that they had communicated originally was unclear. And there's a little bit of um, like braggadocio in the, in the way it was presented that probably helped, like didn't help me 
absorb the information, mm-hmm. but also wasn't like it was it was not accurate. And then coming back to find out about it, I finally got the information about like what had happened and what I should like like when this stopped working, what should I have done? But that's not what the auto body person had said. And um the defensiveness that came with that conversation made me want to just never go there again. Yep. Yep. Um, so like, that's a good example of, of bad support and in an industry and in a situation that is kind of fraught anyway. Yeah. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but I wanted to take a moment to let you know about this episode's sponsor, Martian craft. Martian craft is behind some of the most prominent software on the app store. But what you may not know is that they offer a wide variety of training. They have classes to accommodate everyone from entry level to senior iOS developers who are seeking to amplify their skills or improve collaborative problem solving. And the cool part is Martian craft comes to you instead of you having to travel somewhere or take an online class. They come right to your door. Fortune 500 companies rely on Martian Craft to make their teams and software even better. Find out for yourself why they're the right choice for your company by going to martiancraft.com slash training to learn more. I'd like to thank Martian Craft for sponsoring Less Than or Equal and all of Relay FM. And now back to the show. So I'm curious, have you had a conversation with, with anyone yet where, where you've kind of said, oh, you know, I don't want to be a COO and what has that been like? Because again, as we talked about, that's that's not necessarily um, the goal of a lot of people. A lot of people want to advance into high level management or or you know corporate oversight positions. Yeah, right. Um, I my secret weapon was that I have a mentor. Um, I actually have a couple of people, but like I happened to talk to um, a woman named Marcy Swenson who does mentorship for C-level people that I, I'd run into. And I, I asked her, like, do you mind if I ask you about this situation? And she was great. She asked me great questions of like, what do you like about this job, the, this idea? What do you not like about it? Let's talk about that. Like, why is that? And then I think part of it is that she, I see her as in a mentor role. I see her as an expert, as someone with experience. And who, when she says things, it allows me to give myself permission a little bit mm-hmm. to think that. So when she said, like, if you're not going to be happy at this, don't do it. Like, you know, I could have had that thought, but I wouldn't have believed it mm-hmm. if I hadn't like thought it out and processed it. Um, but talking about like, if it's, it's really okay, like, I, also, this is a this is my you know personal decision that instead of going for the highest level badassery role that pays the most um, and do that and then like get out and early retire, I am choosing the path of finding work that is going to be satisfying and I enjoy. Um, and so that kind of that kind of like made it clear like I although I I actually have lots of opinions and kind of do want to do operations, um, doing it every day and being so far from the product and having to be kind of. There's a little bit of, in, again, in startup land, being responsible for the care and feeding and like essentially, this is going to sound, but the care and feed and, and kind of raising of a company when they are um, people who are starting or like joining the company in their mid-20s and mm-hmm. learning how to be professionals and I don't want to, I don't want to parent yeah. <laughs> more. Um, so that was part of it. And then when I told the company that I was, um, had been interviewing with that I was going to, um, bow out, um, I was really worried about it. This is that I, this is a common thing I have happened where I'm more concerned about their reaction, um, than I really 
need to be, uh-huh. I guess, because like what it's fine. Of course you have candidates drop out. I've had that happen to me, you know, like when I've done hiring, it's fine. But like, for some reason I'm, was really worried about it. So then, um, when the current CEO's uh, response was, of course. And like, I think she literally said, you do you like, <laughs> of course, do the thing that you want to do. Like she's awesome. And that it, it, it really helped, um, kind of solidify what I'd already been deciding, but felt really nervous about because why, you know, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And, um, I just know that I'll be happier with a different bird. <laughs> Cause I will take that analogy as far as possible. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting cause, because I personally, I, I don't have a desire to parent people either. Like I haven't had children for a reason. Um, and I, I don't want employees. I don't want, you know, if I'm off, you know, contracting and doing my own thing, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm okay like managing people, but I, you know, I don't want to babysit people and there's, there's a difference there that's, um, I don't know. I think as a CEO position, especially, you know, operations, there's, there's, there's potentially some babysitting involved in that. Yeah. I mean, the, the best version of that would be you're helping all the people, like the people like we have been where having some professional development help would be huge and, and like help us be amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I get that. And I think that there could be a company that I could do this for, you know, definitely in the future. Yeah. It, you know, it would kind of have to be the the right situation. Yeah. And this, this wasn't, this wasn't quite it. it there were a lot of things I really liked about it, which is why I, I was so, um, it felt so fraught. Yeah. But, um, I, I can see, I can see it. And I do, I mean, I, I like being in charge. I like, ha- like <laughs> getting to help make sure things are running well. So, so in some, well, this was also a small enough company. Maybe that's part of it. When your company is so small that you have like a part-time contracted an HR person or, mm. um, the kind of benefits like that, that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of different things on your shoulders mm-hmm. and that's, and that's maybe what doesn't seem like, um, like a lot of fun right now. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I can see that being interesting after I've, I've worn through my love of support some more <laughs> and really like, like, you know, squeezed a product with lo- like hugging it until it really <laughs> bursts. And then I'm like, okay, I've done this for a while. I'm ready to try something new. I yeah. can, I can imagine that. I don't have to, I don't have to die a support person, although I think I could. Well, and I think too, I don't know. I, I learn a lot by observing Mm. Um, so I feel like, again, because support does so many different things or can do so many different things that it's really a a kind of like a psychological and sociological study where you, (laughs) um, you learn a lot about people and how to, how to interact and how to read them, I think in a way that could be, you know, beneficial for any kind of, um, like if you're any kind of management or, or, um, I don't know, advisory type position where it's just like, oh, well, this is just more, more in my tool belt for later. Um, I don't know. Well, um, part of what I realized that must be part of why I'm good at it or I like it so much doing customer support is that it's half 
all of that empathy mm-hmm. and like unlocking like what's the way that's going to work time after time when I explain this this thing that is um, complicated to somebody that people understand? There's like a, a, you know, sometimes there's a one really good way of saying it that everyone or not everyone, if almost everybody like the light bulb goes off. Right. That kind of like crafting language and thinking about people's needs. But then there's this other like cold problem solving or it's not cold. It's just like very it's pragmatic and it's about um problems and how do you prioritize them and you know where you would look for the next part of the next set of clues to find the bug Mm -hmm. that is also deeply satisfying to me I, i identify as a like super empathetic extrovert uh generally but there's this part of me and especially more as i'm aging i think i'm growing into the part of me that's also very analytical Mm-hmm. And getting to getting to have both of those, and then on top of it, and this is why I get excited because this is the thing I love. Um, then you're in a situation where at least some of it is um, uh, reactive, mm-hmm. but the nature of support, like the site goes down, you have to deal with it. I like that. Like I, I enjoy, I yeah, I enjoy that kind of situation. Um, I'm good in a shit show. So uh, all of those things together are really satisfying. And then on top of it, when you can like then do the like, well, how do how can we reduce the number of support requests we get? Mm-hmm. Like you know, let's let's talk, let's just nerd out about it for a minute. Let's just talk about like what is something that people routinely misunderstand that we could change the documentation or an error message or, you know, how a feature works, or maybe we don't. And this is just the friction we get. This is just the, you know, this is just part of having a product um, that is like, we are saying, yes, we understand that this is a thing and we're going to let it go. Mm -hmm. I love, I just love thinking about that. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's an exercise in, in not only logic and, analysis but also it's that rare intersection of that plus creativity because you're like okay let's let's pull this apart and see where things are going wrong and then what could we do to change that Mm -hmm. how can we think about this differently and I think that that's that's something you don't get in a lot of positions that's true and especially when your clues are coming from people who are telling you about it mm-hmm. the users so then there's there's both um, the analytical side but also trying to figure out why they'd be saying that or or what they're feeling to have them write the the words that they chose because mm-hmm. their question is kind of behind the words that they use mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so I'm really glad this is a job I'm really glad to live in 2016 <laughs> startup cultures is alive and well. Um, so I have a question about you live in San Francisco and you work for tech startups. And it seems like if if you do one or the other of those things, then you want to be a programmer. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that just seems kind of like the thing. I don't talk to people who are like, yeah, I want to move to San Francisco and do support or I want to move to San Francisco and write documentation like you know it's like I want to build a company or I want to help a company grow or I want to um growth hack or or whatever (laughs) change change lives and I mean or disrupt or disrupt yes that's the other thing I was looking for we're gonna disrupt this market um but you and I have been talking about how coding isn't something how learning to write code is not something that you want to do but at one point maybe you thought you did yes for a long time 
Um, I, I moved out here to work for a company doing support. Um, so that's how I got out here was to be participate in the tech startup land. Um, and the, the narrative that was very strong as part of the conversation about, um, women in technology, um, that the kind of like, you know, there aren't enough women in sciences or aren't enough women in technology or in, in programming that, um, being in technology and being in programming were kind of the same thing, or that's the way I interpreted it, interpreted it. Mm -hmm. So, um, feeling like I should at least try to code because that's, that's cool in about six different ways. It's cool. Well, I mean, it's generally, you know, like an interesting thing to learn how to do that, um, may help you, um, advance your career dramatically in in what you're able to do and how much you're paid. Um, also that you gain cred then with the people who are around you, if they are programmers for whom that is most of my friend group. Um, and, uh, and then it's also helping there be more diversity or at least more women in coding. So that's a lot of different pressures, I guess, that I was putting on myself from this and feeling like, um, it's, it's something I I have to do. I have Mm -hmm. to. Um, and I, I mean, I, I did some and I've, I've enjoyed some aspects to it as it turns out, like the two things I enjoy are regular expressions and my sequel. (laughs) Those are things that a lot of people do not like. I know. But like I'm but I'm not gonna find I'm not I'm not interested in having a job where I do either of those all day. Mm-hmm. Um and there it came up infrequently enough that it's not something that I like picked up and held in my brain. So um things like coffee strip coffee script or JavaScript or Ruby, um, or even PHP, which is the first thing I learned, um, aren't aren't things that I'm interested in and I and realizing that like it's a struggle of like, if some, I'm not good at something, I'm not sure if I'm just really not good at it. And if this is, um, an optional thing that I'm doing, should I just let it go or should I be fighting through it because it will get better and I, a light bulb will go off. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole narrative outside of this of like, um, there, there are lots of ways to learn to, to code. There are, um, uh, websites that allow you to do it. Um, like try Ruby or code Academy. There are people who are in my life who are interested in helping me if I would like the help. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there, I think there's a subtle thing. I think it's, it's changing. It's changing slowly, but, um, the assumption that there's, I think there's some sort of basic understanding that's assumed you have. Yeah. Like when I started on any book or any like, um, Code Academy was the first one that really started kind of, it felt more at zero at, at like English major, but still, um, I so said that, you know, like kind of realizing that, like that was the first time where I, and someone had told me, I was, I was telling them like, I don't feel like I can learn to code. Cause I don't feel like I have the, some sort of base set of knowledge that allows you to start. Right. And she said, um, oh, I felt that way. And then I found this one particular way, like tutorial that wasn't like that. So that was good. So then I, you know, I did it and I, I could do it, but I wasn't enjoying it at all. And then kind of deciding like, is that okay? Is it okay that I'm not trying? Like, should I be trying harder? Should I not give up? And am I letting down, um, 50% of the world right? by letting this go? And I'm, a, I'm the mom of a dot of a girl. So there's a, 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 a little bit, I mean, not that, not that I'm too worried about whether or not she sees me coding, but just that like, you know, what's my responsibility here? That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then so finally like deciding that I didn't have to, it took a long time to decide that. So it's not like one day I just decided, um, 
there was something that I ran across, which was, um, oh, I'll have to think of it. There's a, a website that says like, it, 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 it started with a medium post maybe of like, don't code, don't learn to code. And it said very eloquently the things I've been thinking, which is if you can understand the concepts around coding, that's awesome. That can help you be very valuable in areas that aren't coding. Cause it turns out despite the narrative, there are other jobs that are incredibly important in a product succeeding besides just coding. Yes. Oh, that felt incredible to read. Yeah. Well, like, and even, even for me, I'm kind of, <laughs> I've been saying for a very long time, once I have the mental bandwidth, I'm going to learn Objective-C um, because I have app ideas. There, there are things that I want to do with it, but having, it, it, it kind of feels like, um, like this universal convergence where all of the planets and stars and they all need to be aligned. Plus I have to be, you know, adequately rested plus like no pollen in the air, you know, so like this magical fairyland where everything is perfect and then I'm going to be able to do it. Um, and that doesn't exist, but, um, right. I've also, there's also value in like, I want to do this thing and kind of beating your head against it and figuring out why it's not working. Cause that's a thing that I've done a lot. And I think I finally figured out why it wasn't working before and hopefully how I can seek materials that'll help me now. Um, I've learned a lot about how I learn things and, and conceptually like just just how I think about the world. And it's been a really fascinating process, mm -hmm. but I often wonder like, at what point do I just decide, you know, this, this isn't something that either I care enough about or that I'm suited for. Um, and when do I step away? Because there is also that pressure. Like I'm a woman in tech. I feel like I should do this. You know, there's, um, I don't know. <laughs> Well, um, that's making, I'm thinking about how, um, it's a lot easier if there's one clear narrative. Yeah. If all women just learn to code, then we would solve this. Right. <laughs> and it feels shitty to say, I don't want to code, mm -hmm. but, um, the thing to, I guess I have to remember is that to, it's not to each their own, but, um, encouraging anyone who wants to learn what they want to learn, giving them the ability to seems like a great idea Yeah, <laughs> and you know, in all cases and, um, that it's okay for me not to be, you know, I don't have to, I don't have, I don't have to be part of one clear narrative. Cause it's like, that's not how the world is. That's not how people are. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to get to, to feel like you can get your point across, I guess. Um, and kind of the loud, at least in, in the tech, in tech, it seems like there's a lot of talk about diversity and a lot of talk about, how to like, of like processing through and making change and moving forward together. Um, and it's a lot easier when the narrative is really clear, mm -hmm. like all women are capable of coding, mm -hmm. uh, and we just didn't have a chance mm -hmm. and now we will, and then we'll, it'll be fine. Uh, it's far more complicated than that. It is for sure. For sure. Yeah. There's, um, tech is in a really interesting place in terms of diversity and inclusivity right now. And, um, I still feel like we're at the talking stage and not so much the doing stage, like, um, you know, like GitHub just a couple of days ago post, maybe it was yesterday, like mm -hmm. their diversity numbers. And I'm like, good, you know, here's another company talking about this, but I don't know. I kind of feel like, like GitHub has actually been doing, it seems like, although we yes. only have their first year numbers, um, 
to go off of and, you know, kind of the things that you've told me behind the scenes about working there or at least working there a while ago. But, um, you know, I don't I, it's an interesting, complex, long term problem to solve. Um, and I kind of feel like in a lot of ways we treat it like and I, I'm guilty of this, too, like Apple re- releases, it's has started releasing diversity numbers or yeah, diversity numbers year after year. And I'm like, this is not changing enough. Like, mm-hmm. This is not changing fast enough. And on the one hand, I feel like they could, we could be doing more. And on the other hand, if, you know, I understand that it's a long process because there is, you know, a problem with the pipeline problem does exist and that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird being a feminist, um, and, 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 an intersectional feminist in tech right now, because it kind of feel like I have to be all the things, mm-hmm. um, in, in letting go of that and knowing where to let go of that is a complicated problem for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, even as we were talking about this, I was just thinking, um, I'm saying that I don't want to code and that makes me feel bad <laughs> because of all the people who are trying to code and somehow what I just said negates that, which isn't true. Right. Um, and in fact, I hope it just like, ideally then that person would be like, cool. I'm so glad they found out what they want. I'm so glad I know what I want. Um, but we're not quite there yet. I think, and I think a lot of the conversation that we're having is bringing it up more, which mm-hmm. ultimately will be good, but it's just a lot more, a lot more to think about. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting time. It's true. At least, at least there's conversation. And I have to say, I have learned more. I've learned more. Um, I wasn't a huge history scholar, uh, or like fan of those classes in high school or, or, or college. Um, but because of participating in the, the past couple of years of tech, um, uh, GitHub was as a company kind of tangentially related with Gamergate because mm-hmm. of, um, hosting stuff, um, and by the very nature of being a place you can host things, you then have to deal with things being hosted. Um, and the, what I was able to, what I've learned about diversity, about, um, the U S history, about p- different perspectives and why people are thinking and saying the things that they think and say, um, and how I'm able to apply that then to how I, how I think I am and who I, you know, the things that I actually think has been really, really great, even though it's been painful. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So painful for me anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I didn't understand what check your privilege meant. Now I do like, that's, that's a, that's why we're having on this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, um, there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of people are being more introspective, um, and willing to change behaviors lately, you know, the last couple of years, on the other hand, and myself included, like I, I still get, I have these periods where I'm doing a lot and maybe I need to, like I'm having these periods where I do a lot of kind of this heavy introspection and heavy, like mental internal work and, and changing, changing what I say and like letting go of friendships as a result of things that I've figured out. And, and then I go for a while where I'm just kind of skating 
And I'm, yeah. you know, I feel like that's kind of where I am right now is I'm just kind of skating. And I, I guess maybe I need that because it's, it's hard work to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it just kind of feels like, um, I should always, always do better. And that's hard. I mean, I mean, ideally, I guess that would be true, but there's also like the realistic nature of, of life. And, you know, if, 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 if it seems impossible to learn objective C unless the pollen counts low <laughs> and you're fully rested. And I, I have my own similar, exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, then like, and that's something, you know, you want to do like, yeah, this, I always come back to this thing that my mom used to say, and it's very like in my head, it's, you know, my mom and her voice. So it's, it kind of works really well, but she would say, cut yourself some slack. Like you're, you're doing the best you can. And this is a situation like identifying, essentially she's saying, identify the things that are environmental or going on that make you not able to to rock it 100%, which you can do sometimes Mm -hmm. and be okay with that and do the best you can. Yeah. I come back to that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That's been very helpful as I've, you know, had career, you know, like bumps in my career as one does and being a parent and like, I don't know, being, being Being all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think introspection is something that can be taught? I feel like you and I are both very, you know, a lot of people, but since you and I are the ones having this conversation, we're both pretty introspective um, and pretty, um, maybe not always, but we try to be logic driven and step back from situations and, and, and figure things out. Um, do you think that's something that, that, that people can learn or do you think it's just nature and the way, the way it is? Well, I mean, probably the answer is both, <laughs> but <laughs> cause that's always the answer. Right. Some of the, that balance of things that might be, you know, 90%, 10%, but, um, I think that my ability to be introspective in the way that I am is partially because I happen to partner up with somebody who is deeply logical mm-hmm. and rational. Um, and we are, have a nice balance then, but what I've been able to draw over the past decade or so is, um, more of that because I'm, I'm great with emotions. I'm, <laughs> I can emotion all day yep. <laughs> um, to be able to have the power of logic on top of it. Um, or to pair with it, that is, that's, that's where true, like introspection comes from rather than just like, mm-hmm. I'm having feelings and I'm not sure why, or I remember this feeling f- from last week. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like uh, it then either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but being able to, because being able to like throw some logic on that and like, you know, what is the same about these, th- what, these situations where I'm feeling this way or like, you know, what else is going on that I'm not otherwise admitting to myself mm-hmm. is a factor here. Um, that has been huge. Uh, I feel like I'm a better person. Well, I'm a better person because of who I married. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think part of it is the specific thing. Cause I don't, I don't know if I was just, I don't know. I don't know if I would have gotten here so fast. Yeah. I, I actually, I think that's another way in which you and I are similar is because, um, you know, my husband is also very logic driven and very, you know, um, take a step back and learn is so I guess my question really was because I am I'm a more patient person now than I was you know in college before he and I met or um you know I'm, I'm able to step back from situations faster like when I get angry because I have mm-hmm. I have a temper um but I'm able to pull back faster than I used to be able to um 
So I kind of feel like, yeah, if if there's hope for me to be able to do that, and I could definitely do better. I can always do better, but I'm I'm seven million times better than I was before. <laughs> so if there's hope for me, there's hope for other people too. If, but it it's so helpful to have someone with you, like a lot of the time, who can be like, hey, you're doing that thing again. Why don't we pull back a little bit? Yeah, I'm even outside of the partnership. I also am kind of shocked how great being in my thirties is. Uh, like I, I think there's a little bit of like our, the American culture is very much is youth driven mm-hmm. and being in my twenties and thinking like I'm hot shit. and like, like I was saying before, like, I don't, I don't get an entry level job. I get some sort of awesome job, you know, and I'll just continue to be awesome because right. maybe people don't talk or it's not in the popular culture, um, narrative of, of how, being in your twenties is about, I don't know, figuring stuff out, but then your thirties is like this different version of it. Like I'm, I'm my capacity for learning my patience, even the amount of, I just have a decade extra under my belt of data to work with. Right. It is the best. I thought I, you know, my 20, like I was getting near 30 and I was getting sad. You yes. know, I feel like that's a common thing. <laughs> And now like, oh man, if I could just go back in time and be like, no man, it's going to be great. <laughs> You're going to enjoy it so much more. Um, yeah. We don't really talk about that. We don't, uh, but it's really great. I have more data. I have more to, to work with. I can have these insights a little bit more easily. I have, I have more patterns to fall to, to look at. Mm-hmm. I, my, my friends are, are also, you know, often my age still. <laughs> and so we're able to have, um, we're able to be better friends to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and say the things that maybe again with a non-confrontational thing, like I'll support you to the ends of the earth, but I maybe won't tell you things that you need to hear. Um, I'm getting over that because, um, we're all able to communicate in a way that is much less dramatic, maybe. Mm -hmm. Ah. Yeah. I, so when I turned 30, I didn't freak out. Um, when my husband's best friend turned 30, I freaked out and he was, um, like a year and a half older than me. So I got it out of the way early. Like when I was 28, I did the, I did the, I'm going to be 30 soon freak out. And then I turned 30 and I wasn't super happy about it, but I mean, yeah, my twenties are so much better than my thirties were my, no, my thirties are so much better than my twenties were because I'm, I'm stable. I, you know, I, well, I'm mostly stable. (laughs) I'm fortunate that we, you know, that we have a house and a car and like this, just like this physical security that I didn't have through my twenties. Yes. I haven't, I haven't uh, bounced a check or like overdrawn. I mean, not that that can't happen to people in their thirties, of course, but like I've, I've built myself up some knowledge of how to do things in a way that's so much more stable uh that wasn't the case when I was in my 20s exactly yeah like I got I got all of those mistakes out of the way like I feel like kind of those those basic learning you know I I got in credit card debt and I had to dig myself out and now I'm not in credit card debt you know and I hope you know I have a credit card in case I need it and I hope I can stay there but and and I don't know maybe this is a conversation that speaks to our privilege but Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of like emotional stuff that I went through in my 20s that I don't have to deal with now and um 
I don't know. I have I have some friends who are who are in their early 20s and they're like, oh, my God, you have it all together. You you know, you've got this great relationship and, you know, you you tweet funny things about your relationship <laughs> and and you, uh, you know, you have a house and you have a car and you have you, you just have it all figured out. And one, no, I don't. But two, like I went through all of that. And I learned from it. And I think that's the thing about our, I feel like now that our 20s are designed for making mistakes, <laughs> you know, this is where you mess up and you build your foundation of learning is in your 20s. Mm -hmm. And then in your 30s, you have that behind you. Yeah, you're, I mean, there's also aging that happens. I, I don't want to shock anybody. <laughs> but like in my 20s, I was pretty malleable and I could bounce back from making bad decisions or having situations that I could, it, it was hard to come out of. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's probably easier than, than now where like, I really, really do need eight hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I think the, the exchange is, has been worth it for me anyway. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. So what I, what I would like to know is more like, what do I get to look forward to in my forties? Well, I should find, I should find somebody to ask. I, you know, so here's one of my failings on less than or equal is, um, I have definitely had guests on who are in their forties, but we don't talk about age on this show a whole lot. And maybe that's something that I need to do is I need to find people who can, um, who can tell us how much better it is. Cause one of the most reassuring things for me when I, when I turned thirties was my friends in their late thirties and, you know, forties and fifties saying really the thirties, my thirties were the best decade. Yeah. Like that was the best. And so I'd like to get that, you know, for, for 40 and beyond too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and especially applied to, like, I would like to, essentially, I would like to go in the, like, take a time travel machine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'd like to take a time machine to 10 years from now and see myself and ask her questions. Mm -hmm. So, like, with that, you know, somebody who um, is working in technology, what's what does that feel like at 40? Mm-hmm. Or, okay, 47 specifically, <laughs> like heading towards 50, you know, like what, what kind of, um, weird, uh, you know, interactions do you have because of your age when I actually, when I, this is a tangent, but when I was, a, when I applied to GitHub, I looked at their about page and it was, it was mostly men. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a smattering of women, but they, everyone looked pretty young. And I was thinking, who's going to hire a 31-year-old mom with, like, front pleat jeans? <laughs> like, that's how I felt. Right. Um, and, uh, and then I was hired. <laughs> and, and, to, and, like, come to find out, like, very quickly my concern, or not concern, but my fear was, was dissuaded or, like, fell away because there were actually – quite a few dads and, um, so much support. And like, I didn't feel like I, I was thinking like, maybe I would have to hide my momness or my, my, you know, dom not domestic in a, in a feminine sense, but domestic in a, um, you know, I have my boring home and I have my boring life mm -hmm. and I'm not staying up all night playing video games or going out drinking or whatever. Um, but so much support and interest in, uh, and people asking quite like asking how my kid was and like, it was, um, it was way better than I thought it would be. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, that when I'm in my late forties and I'm interacting with people who are of different ages, that there will, you know, rad people are rad and I will not have to 
not have to pretend I'm somebody else. I don't think so. Uh, so I don't know if I can do that. Actually, that I think that might be something that's different in the past 10 years is I, I'm, I'm so okay. Be, like I give, I give far fewer. F- <laughs> I, I have, I have a lot less patience for, for worrying about what a, somebody else thinks yep. in the, in the good way. Like, yep. And maybe that's something else too, of like, there's the good way of thinking of that. And then the kind of ignoring way, mm-hmm. figuring that out was, was a helpful, a helpful thing. I really think that the podcast that doing less than or equal has helped me with that a lot because it's mm. just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do my thing. And this person over there probably has nothing to do with that. And so it doesn't really matter. And talking to people who are just kind of out there doing their thing has really been empowering. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, you just do, you do you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I mean, I, as a listener of the podcast, that's helped me. So let alone getting to be you, getting to ask the questions that you'd like to ask. I can imagine this is, yeah, helpful. You get more than just your own personal data. You get, you get to find out from others. Yeah, that's fun. That's good. Yeah. Um, so Sonia, how can people find you online? Uh, I have a username that is everywhere on the internet and, uh, it's, <laughs> I'm hedging, uh, <laughs> it's Sunday Kofax, which I've discovered is always available, but difficult to, to, for people to understand it's Sunday S U N D A Y K O F A X. Um, there's a really long story behind it, but I always can get that username on websites. So it's my username everywhere. Yay. Yeah. Aline, Aline is not as easy as it used to be. Yeah. Sad. Mm. Well, you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. And if you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to relay.fm slash LTOE and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it'd be wonderful if you'd leave a review on iTunes or even a star rating. It helps people find the show. It helps them know that it's a good show. I'd like to thank this week's sponsor once again. Thank you, Martian Craft, for sponsoring Less Than or Equal and Relay FM. Thank you all for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.